Welcome to the Rise Up Good Witch podcast, a radical approach to herbalism, self-care, and the tarot. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 61st episode of the Rise Up Good Witch podcast. This is Karina. I want to get right into the conversation today because it's a long one and it's a juicy one. And I have on the show, once again, Sanyu Estelle. This is actually her third time on the Rise Up Good Witch podcast, including the tarot story that she told two summers ago when I did the tarot storytelling segment. Um, and I asked Sanyu to come on and have this conversation with me because many of you might know I am gearing up to teach two sessions of Tarot School for Liberation, formerly known as Tarot Summer School, um, on Wednesdays and Sundays, beginning in a couple of weeks here. There's spots open in both sessions. Uh, Sunday is pretty close to being sold out, but, um... I'm really interested in these times in the United States Pluto return in climate collapse during neo-fascism, learning to work with our divination tools such as tarot as a liberatory tool, a tool to not only heal our inner wounding, our intergenerational wounding, but also heal the ways that we show up in the world to be of service, um, especially with the consideration that We are living in vast economic inequality, white supremacy, patriarchy, etc. And these are systems of violence which block us from being able to utilize our tools of liberate our tools of intuition, which which in in turn become our tools of liberation. Um, So this conversation that I'm having with Sanyu is just an opportunity for us to dialogue about some of these themes and how they exist within the tarot. And I just couldn't think of any better reader that I know um, than Sanyu to have this conversation with. She's such a brilliant thinker and has so many amazing shares on her platforms, both on her Instagram and on her new podcast called This Week. So there'll be links in the show notes for you to learn more about Sanyu, um, listen to her podcast, read her amazing writing, and book a reading with her. Um, She also has some workshop offerings. Um, She had like a BIPOC ancestral altars class. So definitely check out and support Sanyu's work. If you're interested in joining Tarot School for Liberation, there's still time and there's still space. Um... I am offering payment plans, and I'm also offering a few partial and full scholarships for BIPOC folks, and within that, to the front, always undocumented people, sex workers, people with disability, queer trans folks, etc. So there'll be a link in the show notes for you to learn more about registering for the class. Um, The classes in the summer were really amazing. Um, It was really awesome to watch people actually form community. Um, And just be able to utilize their intuition on a multitude of levels because we don't live in a vacuum, right? We don't just pull a tarot card and that's our message for the day for, you know, our own spiritual healing. Um, Our spiritual healing is connected to a collective healing. So that's really the way that I teach. It's a combination of um, tarot archetypes and elemental magic um, astro herbology is included in the course, um, and radical history, movement organizing, 
um, utilizing queer feminist theory, theory of abolition, transformative restorative justice, etc. These are all the frameworks that I really pull from to teach this class. It is accumulation of many, many years of my life, um, 11 years teaching, or sorry, not teaching, 11 years practicing tarot, working with tarot, and, and basically being saved by tarot, about three to four years in uh, studying uh, more intensely astroherbology, and um, many years of doing community organizing and studying radical history, radical movements, and many years of also addressing the problematic parts myself. So I really bring that into the class as well. Um, so definitely check it out. And also, if you enjoy this podcast, please go over to Apple Podcasts and give it a five-star review. It's been a minute, y'all. I don't know what happened. Um, but if that's in your ability, your time frame, it's a totally free way to support the podcast. Um, you can also take a screenshot, share it on Instagram or your favorite social media. Super helpful. Um, we really got to preserve DIY media in these times. We'll see how this platform continues to evolve. You can go to patreon.com slash riseupgoodwitch as well, and a pledge of $5 a month is incredibly helpful in sustaining this work. Um, I'm very grateful and lucky that I have enough support on Patreon that I am able to actually make being on this podcast a paid gig for my guests. And this is really important to me. Um, I definitely focus on trying to showcase and interview and hold space with people that are from marginalized backgrounds, um, folks who are BIPOC, folks who are queer. And this is important. I think that we need to pay BIPOC, we need to pay queers for their time and their knowledge. Um, so it's, it's an honor for me to be able to pay my guests. And this is only possible because of Patreon support. If you join the Patreon at $5 a month, um, you also get a ton of extra content, uh, including monthly collective readings. Um, I'm starting a new bi-weekly tarot lesson. And the exciting thing is, is that I actually have a video of Sanyu and I talking, our Zoom video, completely unedited up on Patreon. So you can go and check that out, just $5 a month. Um, you also get a 25% tarot reading discount and a 20% apothecary discount for just $5 a month. So please continue to help this podcast sustain. Your little contribution means so much. And I love y'all. And I hope you love this conversation. I hope to see some of you in tarot school for liberation. today with the amazing Sanyu Estelle. Hi, Sanyu. Welcome back to the Rise Up Good Witch podcast. Thank you very much. Very good to be here. Yay. So we did an episode um, 
back, I think it was in March maybe about, or somewhere around then, um, it was like pretty, I feel like um, it was like COVID had just, you know, shelter in place had just started. Um, and look at where we are today. Um, so we did an episode about using the tarot as a tool for grief. And I think you're so brilliant. I love your, you, your new podcast is so good. Thank you. Um, everything you share on Instagram, it's like, I feel like I'm like, I need to get like a cup of tea and like, cozy <laughs> up for this like literary thing that San you is sharing. Like, it's just like all, it's like a journal. Like I'm reading like a literary journal every time you post anything. That's a wonderful thing to hear for a writer. Thank you so <laughs> yes. much. Um, hello, everyone, new and not new. Um, and thank you for everyone who's actually contacted me about me and Karina's episode on grief and, and death. Uh, I do think it was timely. We, we did not know how timely it was since obviously many have passed and there's a lot of grief because people passing right now are not necessarily given the, the going away um, that many people are accustomed to giving. Um, so I am Sanyu Sanyu Estelle. I am the word witch. I identify as a soothsayer and a Taoist and a earthling. Um, and uh, I would say that my personal conception of tarot for liberation is... Um, well, I guess this, and this will probably reflect in my cards too, but like liberation from within, because I think that tarot gives you the opportunity to check in with yourself and to check in with existence and to see whether there is synchronicity or verification across that and to have more confidence in where it is that you are with yourself. And if, and, and I, and no matter how you're getting your liberation, it has to come through you. <laughs> so I think it's very important to have any kind of tool of reflection or divination. And obviously, Corinne and I use tarot as that. Um, and I use oracle cards as well, but tarot for a specific purpose. Um, so that's my, my quick and dirty deathy. Thank you. And yeah, I think it's like we are moving into times where, you know, self-care is not an isolated in a vacuum type of thing. It's about being better for the collective for everything we're going through. Um, mm -hmm. So I would love um, to invite you to share, you know, I know you chose four cards yeah. um, and I would love to invite you to share, you know, the first card and what your interpretation of it is. Okay, great. Um, so I guess I'll tell you, you audience, all the four cards I chose. And, and then I'll talk, talk to you about the first one. So my four cards, and I, what I love about Karina and I is I'll, that we always choose different stuff and that there's always one where I'm like, oh, why that one? I can't wait to hear about that one. So my four are the Ten of Swords. And if you listen to Death and Grief, knowing that that makes a little revisit and, and we'll talk all about that. And then speaking of death and grief, uh, another one of my cards being death. Um, the old 
Turner over of all things. And then I also chose the world of the major icons because, you know, that's where we are. Uh, so we might as well check in with that. And then last but not least, and what, and what I'm currently living in my life right now, the four of swords is definitely a card for liberation because if you don't rest, you'll just die. So we got to talk about that as well. But we'll start with, let's start with death since that's a good bridge between our uh, last talk and this one. I choose death, um, and here's mine from Manzel's Tarot. Um, I chose death because uh, liberation means something different to everybody and to every generation. And so a natural byproduct of that is that there has to be turnover or decay of what liberation was once considered to be. And, and that requires um, elder generations or elder people to be willing to die, number one. You know, like, that's why I find the pursuit for eternal life so interesting. I'm like, why you <laughs> just let the younger generations, like, they will live and you will live through them. Like, you don't need to take up all their resources and all their space living forever, not trusting existence. Just, like, die like it helped you live. Like, go through the process. Um, and so we have to be willing to give up space as we get older and we have to be willing to stop being the definers or the control, the, the seeming controllers of what space is. And, you know, this is never more evident to me than this, <laughs> this fucking election coming up in our, in the United States, uh, in November, but like how, old frameworks are only held up by people and how the insistence on doing that, the insistence on the world being as you knew it when you were at some particular age in, in place and time in your life, then robs un, or deprives, let me use that word, then deprives younger generations of the opportunity to decide for themselves what, what, their relationship is with life. And so that's a part of my quote, you know, if you're not imagining the world you want to die from in your elder age, it's not going to exist. Like we are the, I call, I don't know, I, I probably didn't say this to you because I don't think I had this idea yet, but um, I've been thinking a lot about how we're the, in the camel generation. I think of the camel generation as basically roughly between 30 and like 45 reaching to 50 and 25, depending on your maturity people or your lack thereof, um, in terms of how you fit into the older new paradigms. But us being the generation that babies today will look at as the people who decided politics, um, because 30 years from now, we will be the age of people in power and the people in power will have passed. So basically if our generation isn't envisioning something else and we're just trying to bring back what we knew, then babies today are going to live in the decay of, of the current moment. And so we're always needing to think, I mean, the indigenous uh, perspective is that you're thinking seven generations. Um, but you're, I just think you're always needing to think of <laughs> at the very least the next fucking generation hi doggy um of the next generation and um and so death is necessary for that that you that you accept it that you know it to be natural that you know it to be an ally that you know it to be 
um, a part of what happens regardless of whether you're necessarily like ready for that transition or not. Um, and also just that it's a nat- a necessary aspect of success. It's not just forever inclines without like things drop off on an incline. <laughs> you're, you are getting to an apex, which means you have to carry less weight. So, or less baggage, let's call it. You have to carry less baggage. So one way or the other, you have to get accustomed to parting with stuff in a liberatory framework. And so I think death is a necessary card for that. I love that. And you know what I loved about what you just said is thinking about tarot numerologically um, and the fact that, you know, 13, one plus three equals four, the emperor, Mm -hmm. which it's funny because when I said like cards that are not liberatory, I immediately was like the emperor, but so much of what you just said (laughs) felt like the death emperor wavelength. It felt so much like related because that's an evolved emperor, right? Like, the, mm-hmm. the evolved emperor knows when to step down. The evolved yeah. emperor knows when to give the power over to a youth, to another person that has had different experiences. Whereas unevolved emperor is what we see in patriarchal white supremacy, you know? So I, that's why um, I loved what you said. Like, you know, there was so much there and just thinking about that numerological uh, association as well. So thank you. Yeah. Also, I like that you said that because I, and an evol- and it, I know that we don't know this earthlings. I know that we have not experienced much of this, but an evolved emperor is not a tyrant. So they have no issue letting the empire thrive without them because that's like the whole point. Yeah. It's <laughs> the whole point of it. Yeah, absolutely. And also I think of four as the number of like the structured world. So it's also yep. really appropriate. It's got like, that's interesting because it's almost like between death and the emperor is the tower or something mm, yeah. on, a, on a structure level. So on that note, I'll pitch it to yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, so I chose the tower, big shock. 10 <laughs> of cups, big shock, probably two, to those of you that um, saw my recent graphic. Three of wands, which might not be, I don't know, whatever. I'm super curious think, about that yeah. one. And six of cups. And I also want to say, I'm not going to talk about all these. Maybe this will be like, you know, this, y'all, everybody will have to sign up for tarot school. Um, I, when I was going through the deck to separate out your cards and my cards, I just want to say, these are also ones that I was like, ah, I should have talked about that. Three of cups. <laughs> yeah. Um, the hanged one. Yeah. I thought the about wheel, the hanged one. Yeah. The wheel of fortune. Also. Yep. Three of pentacles. Mm-hmm. And knight of pentacles, which is like Ooh. my favorite card for this year. Um, oh, I love that. Yeah. But we're not talking about those. Sorry, y'all. We don't have all day. Um, so I'm going to start with the tower, and I'm going to talk about the tower as it relates to the Ten of Cups as well. Um, because I just made this graphic. Um, I get these, like, visions where uh, two cards will come together, and they'll perfectly narrate something that I've been thinking about. Usually something structural, something anthropological, um, something sociological. Um, and I'll kind of like see it as a way to describe a situation by two contrast, by two contrasting cards. Um, Mm -hmm. sometimes for me, it's easier to read, uh, two cards together than one card separately because the two cards really work with each other and inform each other. And with the tower and the 10 of cups, um, you know, I think we are in a time, uh, Pluto Saturn conjunction happened, neo-fascism is happening, climate collapse is happening, and... We have to rethink how we see the tower because 
The tower is scary to people. People are like, no, 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 I don't want this. I don't want this to be destroyed. And that makes sense. You know, that makes sense. I, I understand why people don't want systems that they've learned to trust uh, to be destroyed. Um, even if they have been problematic and harmful and uh, and don't violent work. and don't work. Yeah. And we're designed to oppress, you know, certain people, even if that's the case, I understand the grief in having to let go of even, you know, that's the devil, right? Is like those systems that, that chain where we're attached to something that harms us, but we're attached to it. It's the Stockholm syndrome. So the tower is the releasing of that, right? So like we see the destruction in the tower and maybe we lose people. You know, we, we have to go through the grief of loved ones being harmed, loved ones being hurt. We have to go through the grief of losing material possession, material gain, mm -hmm. losing power. Um, but we have to also look at this as, and I've been thinking about this a lot with the forest fire. I have some really old friends who are firefighters. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of people with more ecological knowledge than me say forest fires are a necessary part of the ecosystem which I never really knew or thought about it. And then I was like, okay, well, we need fire. We need the element of fire. We need it to exist. Um, but it's often abused and it's, uh, it's often, um, uh, miss, I guess just misused and, and mm -hmm. like used without, without, uh, um, without consideration, without intention. And, um, that's the tower to me is like, there's been all these problems for so long. There's been all these things done without intention. There's been greed. There's been oppression. And those things have built up to this thing of collapse, this moment of collapse. So the tower isn't a surprise. It shouldn't be a surprise. It is the result of horrible things on a micro level and even on a macro level happening and the destruction. Whereas if we contrast this, like I think a lot of people, when they see the Ten of Cups, they're like, that's the absolute opposite of the tower, you know? Because I'm looking at the uh, the Aquarian tarot. So it's like, there's the two people like, yay, we're in love. And there's like 10 cups. And then in the Smith Rider way, you've got the little kids like dancing. Uh -huh. But that is when we are, you know, like these are, this is liberatory because you don't get to the 10 of cups unless you're like a wealthy white person, you know, raised with intergenerational wealth. And like your daddy's giving you a job, like, at his job and then you like inherited property, you don't get to the 10 of cups without the tower. Like we, you know, anyone who wants to be truly liberated. And then even like that scenario I just explained, that's not liberation, that's violence for everybody right. else. Um, because nobody has that kind of privilege without, you know, somebody else not having that kind of privilege. Um, so I think these archetypes, I'm like trying not to be long-winded, but I think these archetypes together are like showing us that you know, fires, fires are necessary. Obviously we're seeing an increase of them and a lack of control because of things like climate change and people abusing the, you know, human abuse through like the prison industrial complex where we have to rely on incarcerated folks. Um, you know, obviously, but this is about government corruption. This isn't about the natural world. Um, so I think like this idea that like, we have to embrace the things that are scary, the things that are falling apart, in order to like really step into uh, liberation. And that is very much, I think, the Ten of Cups because the Ten of Cups also feels like it's hard work that you did for your community, hard work that you did for um, your family and your loved ones so that everyone can feel supported and loved. Yes.
That's so great. There's so many things that came to me. One, when you were talking about the tower and fire, I was like, oh yeah, the devil would have also been an amazing liberatory card. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, and then with the 10 of cups, it's interesting the way you described how you get there without the tower. Cause I was like, yeah, that makes sense. It's like the ignorance is bliss, genuine, like what, what was that? That woman try to get across in Texas affluenza it's affluenza and and it has to be right because i was thinking about you were saying i was like oh yeah is it that you know even if you're like a imperialist black you know like you're like a jay-z and beyonce uh, you know are you just reaching 10 of pentacles because 10 of cups is emotional too right so it has to be tied to ignorance or or all the work you did. <laughs> it's one or the other. It's like the baby's joy or the joy of an elder almost. You know, it's that relationship. So that's really interesting to think about because I hadn't thought about, I mean, obviously I think of cups as an emotional suit, but the 10 of cups can also be, you know, an excess of that to the detriment of the tower is can of course be an abuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really yeah. interesting. Do you, side question, do you think that there's like a shadow side to the Ten of Cups and what do you think it is? That's what was just occurring to me. Yeah, I think it is. I think that when you, because the idea is that you said it earlier in something, but like all these little decisions that we made added up to this, this break. Like, you know, because I mean, one thing that's featured in the tower throughout is the idea of something cracking, you know, breaking open. Mm -hmm. So I think that just like that has a, I mean, everything's existed along along a spectrum. So just like the tower has the positive aspect of, you know, I think maybe last time we were saying, what if it, I don't know, I was saying this with you, but like, what if the the people in the tower, what if it's like a sex trafficking ring? And people are like, oh, the tower's crashing down. And you're like, that could be a sex trafficking ring. That could be white citizen. There's a good reason that could be coming down. So just like that, I think, like, it's basically the magician's apprentice is Ten of Cups in the negative aspect. It's too much water. It's, it's too much excess. It's all the broom, all the mops and all the buckets and, and drowning yourself in that emotional stimulation without the consideration of like what the opposite of that would be Mm. and i think it's it's i it's ironic in a way which makes sense because it has to be a little paradoxical with the ten of cups because it's so liberatory because it's like a genuine ignorance but it's not born of itself it's not like a baby's ignorance but it's still genuine you know there's something to be said about I was saying this in, uh, in the Black Excellence chat that has given birth to the This Week podcast. I was like, I don't know if there's anything that white people know about racism or anti-blackness that black people or people of color didn't learn first. Oh, right? Sure. Like, like there's nothing that the construct of whiteness has afforded itself to know about that in the way that it operates that it hasn't had to learn from someone else because the point is that it's just right and and that's the end of the story. So it does birth a genuine ignorance 
that, you know, whether you want to deal with that shit or not is real. You know, like we really do have to have these liberatory conversations. We really do have to break it down. You really do have to start somewhere. You really do have to repeat yourself or send people to the same place again and again and again. And that's an aspect of, that's like the responsibility of the 10 of cups is like, how does, how do you hold all that water without, you know, solid chalice work? <laughs> yeah, that's how Amazing. I think Thank you. So do you want to um, talk about the next one that you chose? Yeah. And I also wanted to say, I thought you'd find this interesting. In my gemstones and crystals tarot, the tower is calcite. Huh. Interesting. And the ten of cups is copper. Huh. Yeah. I like those together. Um, I also like calcite because it's also called Iceland spar. And as allegedly what the Vikings would put on their boats to because calcite refract, refract, refracts light. And so when it was cloudy, Vikings would put a calcite or Iceland spar on the, on the boat and it would tell them what direction the sun was in because it refracts the light in that direction. And then they would know what was east and what was west. But the Vikings were obviously very towery people, right? So yeah. there's something interesting about that to me. Okay. So I want to talk about the world because I was also debating between the Wheel of Fortune and the world. Easy to do. I have certain decks where the Wheel of Fortune is the medicine wheel as well. Um, but I chose the world. I mean, the medicine wheel speaks to me of like seasons and things, things coming and changing. But I thought what was what was more for me necessary about the world to be in the liberatory framework is that I do not think it has ever been fully considered. Like there were times when humans literally just didn't know the bitch was round and like couldn't actually consider the world, right? And now we know it's round, but we don't act like it's round because we don't act like what goes around comes around and we don't act like it's like a cyclical bubble that we're all on and people do terrible things thinking like it happens in the ether and you're like, no, everything terrible that's happened on earth still is on earth. <laughs> the bones, the memories, the descendants, we are all here. Um, and so I like the world because I feel like a, we each are one. Like you, I, something I say whenever I do readings, especially about the suit of pentacles, which I think the world, I think of a lot of major arcana cards as like the ascended master of particular suits, you know? So I'll be like, Empress is an ascended master of the wands and like world to me is an ascended master of pentacles and like death is an ascended master of swords but whatever that's a different conversation entirely so i think of the world as oh so when i describe pentacles to people i'll be like you know we live and die from our perspective so not only does pentacles rule the body and the environment it rules the emotional body and the intellectual body the physical body the erotic body the spiritual body because all that we experience is perceive through our one perspective us the individual so i'm a world corinna's a world you're a world audience everyone's a world and i think that for a liberatory framework to survive people have to recognize that every person is a whole world and that if that's true and existence 
allowed for them by making them and like permitting them to be a part of it, the whole shebang, that there has to be room in the world for the people. <laughs> you know, like, and all that they are complexities. And that's part of the reason that I like the This Week podcast. It's like one, obviously blackness isn't a monolith, but you really see that and hear that in the conversations. Um, And it's also an opportunity to sort of speak about the complexity of character and, and how, and I was just speaking about this in the last episode. It's like every, because we were talking about uh, Kamala. I was like, everybody wants a a hero with no flaws. And that's why you're still waiting for a fucking hero. Like, yeah, you're going to wait forever. Just you're going to wait forever. And and the idea that you need something to have no feedback, which is, I guess, what a flaw is. It's like the thing you don't receive. (laughs) So it's like, oh, that doesn't compute that that shouldn't be there. That is a flaw. And, and so as it's to expect shit to be that in a way that you aren't. And I think the world is about really coming to terms with the way things are. And even though in most decks, I find it to be kind of a card that's more about like completion and wholeness and coming to a full, I think it's also about just the acknowledgement that that's true regardless of whether you think it is or not. Like you're a whole person with your flaws <laughs> and, and you are a whole person with all the things you were ignorant of and didn't know. And that has to be okay too, because it, it happened. And I don't, you know, my belief is that existence is, 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 is its nature. All it can do is exist. So it's just inherently infinite, which means it's not subject to time. And if it's not subject to time, it can't waste time. And if it can't waste time, then it can't make mistakes. It just has experiences because nothing is wasted. So in that, that trajectory, I think it's important for people to acknowledge that if it's here, there, it, there's room for it. And that's the one thing in liberatory conversations throughout human the human story that has been really neglected. It's like freedom for all, except, you know, there's always a, a, a but, but, or, and I'm just, it's just ridiculous, but it's also a part of the world. So it's like something also that you have to talk about. So as much as death is inevitable, so is the fact that we're all arriving here free to, choose what to believe not free to know everything but certainly free to choose what we end up deciding is true for us and and people still haven't come to terms with that i think that's wild like there have been like millennia of generations of humans and we're still not okay with the fact that that is that is the case wow i feel like that was huge i feel like that was like (laughs) so many things And it made me think about, you know, when we talk about room for all, like this rhetoric that a lot of pretty ignorant, mostly white people say about all lives matter when, you know, and I was like debating with somebody, not even like debating, I was trying to have, I've been like, I'm going to try to have constructive conversations on Facebook groups with (laughs) yeah, it's, you know, it's hard, but I, I've been like, hmm, interesting. So you get angry when someone says black lives matter, but then you say, no, children's lives matter. And I'm like, so what's, so like, 
like, but that's all children's life. Okay, cool. So like that includes Black Lives Matter, right? And then they're like, you're an idiot. And I'm like, what, am I an idiot? I'm just like asking, <laughs> I'm trying to understand where you're coming from right now. And it's like, you know, because really what I took away from what you just said is like, the world is so expansive, it includes everything. And yet when people use language that aims, I mean, they're not aiming to be inclusive, right? We know that like deep down, they're not aiming to be <laughs> inclusive. But when people use language like all and everyone, what they're really doing is bypassing individual experiences and how they've been affected by this idea that you said about the world is not, it's, it's a circle. So it's like everything that happened ever is still here. Um, and I'm paraphrasing, but I loved what you just said. So I wanted to throw that in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that you're, you're doing that. I mean, just bless, yeah. bless your whole heart and soul. And also it's funny too, because what they want you to get is what they won't say. And I think that that's so interesting because the world is, is present, right? It's like, the world isn't hiding from us. Like it's underneath, it's around, it's above. Like it didn't make the borders. It didn't say you can't traverse the land. Like it's available. It's, it's fully there. And, and what you decide to segregate yourself to or limit yourself to or what humanity has decided is the case has nothing to do with the world itself. So it's just funny for me to have people be like, all lives matter. And you'll be like, so black lives matters too, which would be an obvious derivative. And they're like, no, because what I'm saying is all lives, but black lives matter. And if you don't get that, you're an idiot. And you're like, well, maybe you're an idiot for just not saying what you mean. Because I saw some article headline the other day. I don't even know, probably from Vice or some fuck shit like that. But it was like, um, not even white supremacists like being called racist. And I was like, this is fascinating like this is that 10 of cups abundant ignorance which is like but it is what you're but it's what you're doing it's your whole ethos and they're like yeah but i'm not a racist but why not like what do you associate racism with that you're not associating white supremacy with? <laughs> why does that work anyways yeah yeah so. yeah there's a disconnect there to say the least um, <laughs> major um i wonder how i could that well I guess I'll try to tie in the six of cups to that I don't know yes. so um I've been doing memes tarot memes with the sixes specifically because I think sixes are relational you know mm -hmm. so we're talking about how people relate to one another and I think like six of pentacles is sort of like um a moderate liberal maybe affluent white person who's like I give to the NAACP and I give to the ACLU every month, $100. That's it. I'm done with my contribution or whatever, which whatever, that's great. I'm not like, whatever. And we all do what we can. But I think the Six of Pentacles is more of like, I don't want to like put myself on the front lines. I don't want to actually be involved, but I do want to be look good for like a very general support of like a general area. Um, and then like the six of wands is like, I'm doing great, everyone. Like, did you notice how great I am? I won't go into all the sixes, but then I when like we, yeah. um, but when we get to the six of cups, so like the six of cups is the most altruistic of these without altru, you know, cause like if we think about what altruism is, it's doing something because it's right and not because you want accolades for it. But I think six mm -hmm. of cups also represents like a lateral system of support. So we're mm -hmm. not talking about like, 
the emperor being like, yes, I will. I am the president. And you can have food stamps, which really don't cover your food budget. But here, I'm so great. You know, like, that's how I'm treating poor people. Like, that's not lateral support. That's hierarchical capitalist support that makes people dependent on a system and they can never rise up. Um, you know, that's a myth, you know, that that died a long time ago, like the American dream. So I feel like the Six of Cups is very lateral in that it's about communities supporting communities. Um, when we look at like the, you know, I'm looking at the Aquarian and it's like the two people looking at each other um, and they're at like eye level. And in the Six of Cups in uh, the Smith Rider Wait, it looks like children, like two children. And there's like a flirtation about it. Like yeah. you're like, oh, they're giving each other flowers. But there's also something there where it's like, I have this, there's an energy of like, I have this to offer you and I'm going to offer you because, you know, I'm going to offer it to you because I have it. And that's why I love the Six of Cups. I think the suggestion is, you know, there's that flirtation about it. There's kind of like a youthful joy. Like it reminds me of like being a child and like running around in the forest and, and like thinking about fairies and stuff. But it's also about, it's totally stripped, I think, of like these hierarchical notions that we have in a society that's been completely built on oppression. Um, because it's really about like, I have this and it's flowers too, you know, and I think flowers are extreme, especially because I love flower essences, like flowers are extremely liberatory because mm -hmm. they continue, you know, they teach us about resilience. They continue to grow. They're beautiful. Um, they all have so much, you know, medicinal power, whether that be spiritual or physically and the six and of cups. Unique. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, um, I think, uh, and they're great for trauma, you know, healing trauma. So I think there's a lot of revolutionary and liberatory things about flowers. And in the Six of Cups, it really makes me think about creating that lateral system of support where you like return to your childhood self because not very many of us as children were like, what am I gonna do when I get older? Be the second Jeff Bezos, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, probably some kids are like that, but it really gets back to just like that joy that like youthful joy, which I do want to say, like not everyone obviously can connect to like youthful joy because of trauma and oppression mm -hmm. and war, et cetera, and violence. Um, but I think like the Six of Cups does represent like that lateral system of support that like giving back the mutual aid, the showing up for one another because it brings you joy for no other reason. But it, and, and also because you have to, because you have to show up for your, like we have to be showing up for each other um, we can't rely on the unevolved emperor to be like, poor people, stop drinking Starbucks and like afford, you know, whatever. You know, we can't rely on that archetype. We have to rely on each other. Yes. Also, it made me think, I don't know that that many cards in the tarot actually feature children. Like just the children. Mm -hmm. So I also think Six of Cups is interesting for that. It makes me think of the younger generations. And it, it's funny, we were talking about the herbal tarot briefly last time because I in, had included that. But I think what's funny is I don't like the Six of Cups in the herbal tarot because it talks about like superficial love, shallow love, puppy love, mm -hmm. like naivete, basically. Mm -hmm. But I think... And I don't think that that's necessarily wrong. I do think it's about the, the early stages of a deep, unending appreciation, right? Which would be taking care of the person next to you, which would be like lateral care. But I also, in the light of how you described it, it's like, 
it is there is a certain innocence to the six of cups that's about the assumption that like of course i will share because there's no scarcity like i don't have to hoard these flowers like i don't have any assumption that i won't come across more of what i need so i'll give you what i have or like you know some of what i have so that's interesting. Six of Cups. I like that. And I also think you're totally right that like not everyone can claim that sort of like youthful jubilation, but that it's still extremely important to protect that because that youthfulness, like children should have childhoods. Like they have a right to, to dream a world where they can just share shit and it's not for humans, like adult people to come in, you know, rain on their on their visions of what the world can become because it's liberatory. Like that's actually something that's like a deep card. I wasn't even thinking about that, but it's yeah. definitely about the inner child. It's definitely about what you allow that inner child to dream up and and live out. And it also makes me think of how we enter into relationship, which is supposed to be a lateral move, right? Like, even even if you're a traditionalist and you're like, I am a woman, so I'm in the home and you bring home the bacon, like, that's still supposed to be an equal because you can't technically do my role in that philosophy and mm -hmm. I can't do yours so that we're both necessary. <laughs> um But, and yet we still show up in love, especially romantic love, so stingy so bereft, so not giving people their flowers, as we say, when we're supposed to be giving people their accolades. So that, that card's mm. deep, in my opinion. And in the herbal tarot, it's a watermelon, right? Don't they have yes, a watermelon? It's a watermelon. Mm -hmm. I love, I do like the illustration in the herbal tarot. It's super cute. Yeah. It's super cute. I just always kind of was like, wow, is the Six of Cups really about this? I get, but it's not wrong. I mean, it's every card's a spectrum. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that there's both the natural innocence and then the like superficial torrent sort of like uh, Bonnie and Clyde. I also think of it on the on the negative spectrum as that Bonnie and Clyde type thing, mm. like us against the world, like we have to do this. Yeah, yeah. There's so many ways to interpret each, you know, and depending on how it comes up in a spread, definitely. Okay, I will quickly go to the Ten of Swords because I did have this card as in in our death and grief conversation, mm -hmm. and the Ten of Swords is. Again, I call it the medic card, going to a bad place to do a good thing, um, that the wounded can't leave the field, like you have to go to them, that we have to go to places of harm. I was, I was just thinking about this in the shower. I, I was like, I got to figure out like a quote for this. I was like, you know, whiteness, how are you going to gentrify yourself? Because I was thinking about how I was getting my hair done in what used to be called probably like Inglewood, Baldwin Hills area. But that was gentrified and now is called Windsor Hills. And, and I was like, how funny. Like, whiteness tries to gentrify a neighborhood that it ghettoized. So it's like, but how are you going to gentrify yourself? Like, you're always going to be gentrifying because you're always going to be destroying community. So you're always going to have to get away from that destruction. So you're constantly going to have to get away. Like, that's the whole movie Elysium, right? Like, that the rich get so, fuck up everything so much on Earth that they have to create a super rich orbiting thing around Earth 
that is their home that has a whole simulated environment because they sucked Earth of all its resources and they continue to suck Earth of those resources. Whatever you think about Matt Damon, because I'm not a fan of that fool either. That movie is is a testament. Yes, it's a testament to the future. Go see Elysium. Um, But it just makes me think of how people want things to be fixed and they don't want to be a part of the cleanup. So they're like, oh, you know, like you should be healed by now. Or like, I should be over this by now. It's like, when you never think about it, (laughs) huh? Like, when are you going to get over that? If you never commit any thought, any attention, any action to that thing. And, you know, the medic is putting their life on the line. Like in a war, wearing all white does not guarantee you safety if people aren't regarding the rules of war. Um, And so it's like, or honorable war. And so you're, you are taking a risk. Yeah. Liberation's a risk, yo. That's for sure. Any change has the risk of you having to get used to the change. (laughs) So, you know, the change itself is, is, isn't a risk. It's just itself. But the way that we respond to the change is, is the risk because you may lose what all equilibrium, all idea of who you were as a person based on what you think should or should not change. And then, and then based upon that fixation or that particular kind of attention, you may feel like the world is against you. And I'm like, now, now I'm laughing at all these idioms, us against the world, the world is against me. I'm like, wow, the world, just like 2020, the world was framed. <laughs> it was framed by us. These, these things didn't do anything. They're just in their natural alignment. It's our problem. Um, so the Ten of Swords, again, is such an important card. It's a bomb, B-A-L-M. Um, it's a poultice. It's all the healing that is necessary for the wound. And, and it's usually like the ickiest, smelliest, dirtiest place on you. It's the, or in you or the experience that you've had. And there's no liberation without coming through those things. Like you can't, you can't leave them behind. You have to come through them. I love that. I, that like when you did the Ten of Swords tarot, And it's still, people can listen, it's like two years old now when I did used to do a tarot storytelling segment on the podcast. When you did the Ten of Swords, I mean, I loved so many of the stories that people sent. So no shade to anybody else, but I I like love yours. I always think about it. Um, Just the idea of the Ten of Swords being a medic. Because it is one of those scary cards that people are like, oh no, I don't want this. But you're like, but it's a 10. It's (laughs) it's over. This is it. You're in the thick of it right now you know uh to me like the eight of swords is much worse because it's like a loop that you can't even see your way Mm -hmm. out of um and i was thinking when you're talking about all these quotes like a quote that i think about that i think is like inadvertently harmful is uh what what doesn't kill you makes you stronger because if we look at the trauma in the world like and we think about you know the fact that no one you know that's saying like no one's first experience was harm with harm is them committing it um that's because you you didn't get stronger you know what didn't kill you didn't make you stronger it is a choice so i think that i think about that in relation to ten of swords also it's like what doesn't kill you gives you tools to maybe get stronger or you can turn the tools on yourself and your loved ones and you will not be stronger yeah that's totally true yeah because like on a negative spectrum i think the medic is 
well, it's the eternal victim. It's the, and it's the victim that wants to be acknowledged as a victim by everybody but themselves. Because I think what's interesting about that, and it's, it totally makes sense because a negative belief has to hold your attention through negative, through negativity. So it's like, the whole point is, is that it wants to maintain itself. A belief just wants to be believed in. It's, it's got no like negative motivations, but negative beliefs are just inherently negative. So it's this, something happened to me, but I don't want to talk about it. I want you all to acknowledge it. And you're like, but, but, but you won't talk about it. You're like, no, no, you should read my, like, can't you see the scar? And you're like, yeah, but I don't know. That could be from anything. Like what? So it's this necessity to, I think on the negative side, it's denial of the wound to the utmost. And what I love of in Manziel's tarot is the 10 of swords is like such an intense card, but they're also looking to the stars. Like their eyes, even though they're stabbed in the back, they're, they see their, they know what the healing was or the healed them was. You only notice if, that you have a wound if you ever felt like you didn't. <laughs> so that's another crazy thing. Like some people are raised very wounded from an early age, you know, that, that there are abuse is committed very early to a lot of people on this planet. And there's something to be said about I now I want to say something about three threes all of yes. a sudden because I was like okay but if I say something about just like the sixes I think the threes are meaningful and uh, and what I wanted to say something about the three of swords and then I realized I was going under the three of wands um, but I think the three of swords is like a precursor to the ten of swords because it's like oh yes. woe is me I didn't get the job or like I got dumped or like my crush doesn't like me. This is horrible. And I'm going to sit here and wallow in everything that's ever happened to me. That's bad, which I am very familiar with that. Y'all here. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I think like if you don't deal with the three of swords, you're going to get to the, you know, then you're going to get to the five of swords, which takes you to the seven yep. of swords, which takes you to the eight of swords, which brings you to the ten. Um, at, but okay. So for the, for the, um, Three of Wands, you know, I think, and then I, when I listed the ones that I was also thinking about, I listed the Three of Pentacles. I think yes. the Three of Pentacles goes with the Six of Cups in a way because Three of Pentacles is about slowing down and being like, I want to lay the groundwork to make things right. So like the Three of Pentacles, you know, they say like being an activist, being an organizer is people think it's like being out in the street with a sign, like yelling at cops all day. When really like 85% of it is like, having signal chats and like zoom meetings and like talking to your neighbors, you know, and that's the three of pentacles part of mm -hmm. uh, being an organizer. But, uh, but I'm like, I'm talking about the three of wands. Oh, and the three <laughs> of cups to me is like a Thelma and Louise, like old school feminist card um, where it's like women and femmes are like, yeah, that guy is an asshole. Like let's get, take him down. Ha ha. Um, but the three of wands, I think, the three of wands is our access to fire as an element that is productive and healing. Um, because like I was saying about the tower, you know, obviously the tower is related to fire and um, the tower is the loss of control of the fire and the wind. Um, the tower is Mars. The tower is uncontrolled anger. The three of wands to me is 
when you have that access to fire and it's in your control and you can do what you want with it. So if you look at like the Smith Rider weight, you have this person who's staring out at an ocean, I believe. Yeah. And they are maybe in their castle. I think it's interesting in the, you know, one reason I love the Smith Rider weight is looking at the way like there's an ingrained hierarchy a lot of times in how people face one another what the you know are you standing on something high is your throne way up there or are you down on the ground and i think that tells us a lot by the positioning of the bodies um and in the three of wands what we see is this person is gathering their resources so you know the two of wands is in the three of wands there's not a lot of difference in the imagery it's like hmm, i'm standing with two wands and now i'm standing with three wands and that's you know a progression of like i'm gathering skills i'm gathering knowledge i'm gathering by ambitions to make a commitment to something. Um, and what we see similar to the swords of the wands is burden. You know, the further we get up in the suit, it's more burdensome. But when we're in that three, it feels like there's so much potential and there's so many ways that we can use our energy and our ambition. Um, and that kind of hopefulness and openness feels very liberatory to me. Yeah, yeah. It is very liberatory. I also think in the traditional one, there's like a boat on the water, right? In the distance, you don't know mm -hmm. if it's coming or going. Like there's choice inherent in that card, which I think wands is all about. Mm -hmm. I often tell people like, it's a suit of how you see the world and how the world sees you and whether those are equally yoked images. Because if you're received in the world the way that you believe yourself to be, then it would mean that you actually know who you are. And like that's the ultimate liberation to be like oh i am what i what i say i am um and what i do and so yeah i like that i also like the threes the three threes yeah yeah and the three of swords is definitely a precursor to the negative spectrum i mean it's a precursor to the ten of swords no matter what because eventually you're gonna have to go back to that wound and deal with it but it can definitely be the beginning of a a very like woeful story about you, which I think the swords is, it flirts with all the time, right? Which is a natural segue into my last one, the four of swords. I almost didn't pick the four of swords, but I had to do it because, you know, I was debating, I was like, okay, I have death, the world, 10 of swords. I was also thinking about, um, I was thinking about the Empress. I thought about the Queen of Wands. You know, there's something to be said about inspiration and feeling fired up. And But I actually think the Four of Swords is such a great card because it's about stillness. And like for me right now, I'm not someone who needs a lot of breaks. You know, I guess it's like being the mutable water sign and feeling very comfortable in the flow. I'm used to consistent pace of some kind. Um, and if I get too still, then I feel very boggy and very bogged down. But I've been realizing recently through Leo season into Virgo season, it was just like, well, there's more work than I can actually get to. So the idea that I can get it done if I just sacrifice all these other things is not only unsustainable but it's actually not like i am making myself do that me like there are certain commitments and obligations that i've made to people that have dates attached to them 
But at the same time, I am, I am the source of the work. So I have the ability in my sword's way to clearly and articulately, artic to clearly articulate to these people that like, hey, I'm a little overwhelmed and I'm gonna need like two weeks leniency on the sources that I said I was gonna give to you. And I think that asking for that is actually the hardest part of the liberatory framework where, because everyone is like, because so much performativeness, especially in the West and obviously, especially in the United States is a part of what is considered to be care, whether that care be activism, whether that be self-care, you know, it's like self-care is a picture of you with your face in a mask and your eyes covered with cucumbers in a, in a beautiful environment, that's care. You know, like activism is you literally laying your life on the line and letting someone beat you with a baton so that you can show that, or, or grieving is caring only if you're completely losing your shit about somebody dying and like you have nothing but tears and it's just all of this performative action work. And I think that that's, great when it's authentic or like when it when it, it's upon you and there's not a choice like there are times when you're genuinely just overwhelmed with grief and there's times when you're upset enough to be at the front lines and there are also times when you really are just like look at this luxury can you take a picture of just like how i'm actually luxuriating <laughs> and and then but that's like just like we were talking about in the beginning, how you get to the top of the mountain and that's an apex, like that's an apex moment, the performativeness of that. The mountain underneath grief, the mountain underneath activism, the mountain underneath self-care is like 90% internal. And that requires space and time for reflection, which also includes space and time for not doing other stuff, but reflecting. And so if you're not resting or if you're not taking breaks, you're not going to make it to the future that you want. Like the version of you that you, is fighting is going to burn out and there's going to be some less emotionally available, intellectually capable version of you in that future who may not even be able to appreciate it to the degree that you thought, which is why so many people get to the thing that they want. And then they're like, oh, why didn't this feel the way that I wanted it to feel? It's like, well, it's about the experience. It's about you being along the journey and every step of the way, not about you shoveling the work in and not paying attention now so that you can attend later. And I say this about relationships too. It's like people want to reserve their best self for the version of a partner that they think is the perfect person. And it's like, how are you going to hold that person when you're not practicing your best self with every, at every opportunity with the person that stood you up, uh, you know, with the person that stood you up, with the person that ghosted you with the person that is, you don't even know if it's romantic or not. Like you have to show up with that version of yourself as often as humanly possible. If you want to make space for that version of you to exist. And so in a liberatory framework, I should hope that everybody is expecting to have the time to actually rest, perceive, live at a pace that actually makes sense for their existence. Because again, that world card is so important. It's like there has to be room for your world in this world or else you would not exist 
because existence can do nothing irrelevant or make no mistakes because it's infinite. So it has nothing but time. So it wastes nothing, including your life. So yeah. And then, you know, nap ministry and, and all these other statements, like if you don't sleep, you're going to die. And the, and it's, and it's ableist as fuck. Right. Because you think about all this stuff. People are talking about Chadwick Boseman. Like what I saw some shitty thing today that was like, what Chadwick Boseman, what did he teach me to when I'm sick to work harder? And I'm like, no, wait, no. Um, like when you're sick to work hard at the things that you love, and I don't even know if you have to work hard at them, just work at them. Like, why do we have to add that adjective in there? Like work at the things that you love, regardless of what's going on. Sure. But like Chadwick Boseman, not talking about his illness could have been as much contractual. That could have been some real plantation shit. That could have been Disney being like, we run a tight ship and we don't like depressing shit on our press junket and you're going to distract from the movies. So don't tell people you have any sort of cancer because they're going to ask you all about that on the interview instead of asking about Wakanda. So keep your mouth shut. Or it could have been black man, like what I call the black Atlas. Like I'll hold the whole world and you know, I'm I'll, I'll show that I'm invincible or it could just be patriarchy. Like, you know, if there's so many reasons, you wouldn't say that. And then, of course, it's your business. When you need to take a rest, when you need to take a break, that's your business. But at the same time, in a world where you wouldn't expect people to have any sort of negative response, you could just tell your business as it is, which is like, hey, I'm sick, or no, I'm asleep in. Or, you know, and to think about the number of people and I'm, you know, whatever, I'm like particularly connected to Hollywood through my family and just being from LA and stuff. So I know things, but like people really didn't know about Chadwick, like even people he was working with, people who thought they were close to him. And I think there's something to be said, even my dad didn't tell, like we didn't tell a lot of people until like a month before he died because he didn't want to tell anyone. And I do respect that, you know, it's your right, your life, your rest your death. That is yours. But I think it's something to be said about liberation where we have to consider that six of cups lateral shit. Because what I know about for my family and what I know about for Chad McBoseman's wife is like, but you leave the people you leave with all the answers, all the questions, all, all the anger, all the accusations of everyone you didn't address, who you knew in your life. Like all the people my dad knew who have questions about why he didn't tell them, I can't answer that for you. I, I don't know. You could be upset or about the process or about how we went about dealing with the cancer or why we didn't do this earlier or whatever. But like the person who you need to have that conversation with you is gone. So like the work that I can do on his behalf when he's gone is a lot less. And so I think that that's the complexity of the world. And then that lateral appreciation of like, what work am I going to leave you with when I leave? Like, is the world that I leave one where I want to go out like, like a flame in the middle of the night and no one to know? I don't want that for me personally. But even if you do, that the people should just respect that. Even if you tell them that you're sick, you know, like then, then they shouldn't ask you any fucking questions. Like my dad could have been like, I'm sick. I don't want to talk about it, but I want you to know and no conversation. But I think because we're not in a liberatory framework, there's so much feedback that people do not feel comfortable to do that. So they like take their rest where they can, which is actually just like avoiding com communication. 
it's not a true rest. It's, it's, a it's a holdover. And it also basically punts the ball to somebody else. So there's a lot to think about in that card. Amazing. I loved that. Um, Four of Swords, I, I love Four of Swords in like a love-hate way because <laughs> Four of Swords is the biggest call-out card for me. Like if I, I would say that in Seven of Swords probably. That's the, the Four of Swords is the most like, okay, bitch, like you need to slow the fuck down because you're burning out, which I have historically as a Capricorn not wanted to hear, not wanted to <laughs> listen to and been like, nope, you're wrong. I still, I still can do it. I can be productive 13 hours a day, whatever. That leaves me some time to sleep and eat. Um, Yeah, and thank you for bringing up, you know, grief again and, like, um, you know, death and the expectations of it. Um, And and bringing a map ministry. Because when at first when I saw that you chose the Four of Swords, I was like, oh, I wonder why. And then I was like, map ministry. It's going to be, like, something about (laughs) map ministry. Um, So, yeah, I mean – it is important to rest. That's something I'm still working out. Um, <laughs> Literally, I'm I'm watching her and I'm being, it. Yeah, it is no, important it's hard. to rest. It's really, really hard. <laughs> um, I call myself a recovering workaholic, but like I'm in the first stage of recovery, which is saying that I am, but not doing anything about it. Um, so, yeah, awesome. Well, I think that's all. Is that all of our cards? That's all our cards, unless you want to talk about any of your little extras. I mean, we're at an hour. Yeah, like I, I mean, yeah, I could talk. Um, I think I've been talking about the Knight of Pentacles a lot lately because a lot of my tarot, so a lot of my tarot summer school graduates know that to me, the most dangerous card, it's not the tower. It's not the devil. It's not the Ten of Swords. It's the Knight of Wands. I think the Knight of Wands is the Say more. I'm so curious. Because it it's air and fire, and again we talk about that that uh, um, that the forest fires, you know, like out of control, like the air and the fire together will just burn everything up. So to me, like the the Knight of Wands is someone who's twenty two years old, <laughs> is privileged, maybe suddenly learns about systemic oppression. And it's like I'm going to do everything, and I'm mm. and they're going to burn out in six weeks, right? And then they're going to go back to their everyday life. Like that's the Knight of Wands. The Knight of Wands will burn through everything and they will be harmful. And like one thing that I was thinking that came up a little when you mentioned the four, when you were talking about the Four of Swords, I think is like something I've been thinking about is like, I have a hard time saying no. Um, So I'll just say yes to everything. And then 40% of those people, I will totally flake on. That is way more harmful than just saying no. You know, and I've been thinking about that. I've been like, when someone just is like a yes man and like says yes to everything, but then you can't rely on them. That's so much more harmful than someone who's like, nope, can't take that on. Um, And I think that's Knight of Wands. I think Knight of Wands is very destructive. Like any of the cards that are water, fire, balance, or sorry, air, fire, balance, it feels like there's just, you're going to ruin everything and you're going to have to go back to square one. Like if you don't control that energy, it's going to go out of your control and then you have to rebuild everything, you know? So it's sort of like the idea of, yeah, like myself as someone with white privilege, like if I, if I try to do too much and I mess up in some way, I could end up doing more harm than good. And that's the night. Mm-hmm. 
sense. It's just that idea of doing more harm than good because you're trying to carry too much on your back. Like a ten of ten of wands, I think. Yeah. Well, it's for sure like ten of wands. And I also now that you're talking about it, I'm like, oh yeah, knight of wands is like the ultimate performativeness. Yes. It's like it's like I need to show you how I'm believing of what I'm doing. And you're like, it would be true even if you didn't show me. <laughs> it's, yeah. It would be maybe even truer if you didn't. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I totally get that. And it's also kind of like that young fire energy, right? Like a young Aries, a young Sagittarian, a young Leo. Like that can be a very destructive energy because it's so prideful. Mm-hmm. And, and, and wanting to be in, at the beginning, you know, at the front of the thing or at the head of the thing or at the top of the thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, and this is what, something I wanted to say when you were talking about fires in the tower. So it's important and appropriate we end on the wands. It's like certain elements are very easy to abuse in that they're very potent. And like fire is one of those things. Like it's funny too, because I'm in the middle of, mixes i'm recording a a tribute album to my father and one of the songs is called prometheus and it's about power of a god like do you really want the power of a god because at the end of the day prometheus two things happened in response to prometheus pandora was sent down with her box of sins which she eventually opened because women always do that shit and then and then prometheus was chained to a rock and his liver his entrails were eaten by an eagle every day and then would grow back and then the eagle would come back and eat them eat them again and so it's like fire he all he did was steal fire from zeus and take it down to humanity but it's like that's an element that's so potent that you really have to be grounded in and in earth stuff in earth pentacles type shit to take that well which is why i i liked your tower emperor reference because i think the emperor is often associated with like too much fire Mm -hmm. too much fire or abuse of that power and it's like not that fire is inherently bad but it is a very strong element and and it can get it can go wild very quickly. So you have to be even more attentive when you use that sort of energy mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. And I think like the knight of the knight of wands and to an extent the knight of swords, it's kind of like the mansplainer or like the white splainer. It's like someone who just read one article and is like, let me educate everybody that's been reading about this slash living it for their life or like for 20 years, you know, that's, and that's harm. Yeah, that's harmful. So fire is so powerful i don't really know how to work with fire energy yet i think completely because it's which is ironic since you live in the desert i guess you're 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 studying firsthand in the real atmosphere yes the heat yeah yeah and i also think why why fire does that comes into the room and tries to mansplain white splain or like new splain is that they are trying to get the validation that they know what they learned they're like, I want to know what I think I know. So I'm going to explain mm-hmm. it all to you as if I do. And, but the, re- the way that they want to know that is by explaining it every- and everyone being like, you're so right. Yeah. You're so, yeah. You, I'm so, we're so glad you're here. We've been waiting all humanity for this sort of liberation talk. Thank you mm-hmm. for showing up. Um, and, and not really having any groundedness, any knowledge of like the history that comes before you. 
Because if you did, you would know you weren't the first person to explain that. And oftentimes it's like no recognition for the past as if this issue is new. There's something about the Knight of Wands that addresses the problem as if it just arrived because they did. And like, as if it's as quick a turnaround for it to not come, like to arrive. I showed up, I solved this, leaving now. You're welcome. <laughs> so that's funny. Yeah. I do think that's a dangerous card. You're right. That's yeah. a pretty, pretty well, dangerous card. And also, you know, like I, when I'm teaching about the, the court cards, like the king is supposed to be handling the knights. So also if like the knight is really, really fucking up, like where's the king? Like why is the king and the queen, they need to be like mentoring the knight and being like, you know, you're the apprentice, you're not the teacher, you didn't get to read one article and become a scholar on this subject, so you need to back down. So if the knight is acting out, then the king is not doing its job. That's facts. Because they also represent the honor of, mm-hmm. of, that, of that rulership. Mm-hmm. So it's like if they're doing atrocity it must be sanctioned or they must be some rogue energy, but either way, like they're not in alignment. That's so true. Well, thank <laughs> you, Sonia, for being on my podcast again. Um, oh, my pleasure. Exactly. And- I have a busy month of teaching workshops, but you can always go to my website, S-A-N as in Nancy, Y-U-E-S-T-E-L-L-E, Dot com. That's also my at on Instagram. I'm sure Corinna will support you with all the links. And you're more than welcome to book me for a reading and we can get into your liberatory frameworks. <laughs> and listen to the This Week podcast. Yes. Like w- SoundCloud or Spotify. Yeah. listening to the rise up good witch podcast if you enjoyed the show please rate and review in itunes and check out www.riseupgoodwitch.com for more information about tarot readings and the apothecary